everything that you could ever think to want in life is all possible and it's just up to you. And to never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever put a cap on your potential. Never put a cap on the possibilities of, of what is possible because you are doing what seemed impossible many years ago. And I will continue to push the boundaries in all aspects of my life to see what is possible. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect, how obstacles can be overcome to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 94. Today, we have another close friend, fellow triathlete, Alex Torres. I feel like I've been knowing him forever, although I don't remember when we officially met. Alex is a former member of the Horace Mann High School track and cross-country team. He continued running in the military. As a member of the Commander's Cup team, he will explain what that is later. He ran his first marathon in 2004, the Chicago Marathon, one of my favorites. He's run the Chicago Marathon every year since 2004, and he's currently registered for the 2023 Chicago Marathon. In 2010, he started to compete in triathlons and his first race was a full distance 140.6 triathlon in Louisville, Kentucky. He's currently training for Ironman Court Delane and he's qualified via the legacy program to compete in Ironman World Championship and will do this in 2024. Professionally, he works in the pharmaceutical industry. He lives in Grand Rapids He's married and has five children. Please welcome Alex Torres to the show. Well, thanks for joining me today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for asking me to come along. So let's go back to your formative years. Um, when you were a kid, did you do a lot of sports? You know, it's it's pretty funny that you asked that question. <laughs> because I actually did. But um, those aren't actually my most memorable years for sports because I come from a family of seven kids. Okay. And six boys, one sister. And of the six boys, I look at myself as like the runt of the family, so to speak. Really? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I was the smallest and I wasn't the most uh, athletically gifted of all of the siblings. So I literally was like the Charlie Brown in my family in a sense of I didn't have Charlie Brown's bad luck, but certainly nobody wanted to pick me on their team. I always got the <laughs> the sympathy, not empathy, the sympathy vote at the end or where people would bring me on. But more than more than not, I was the last person chosen. But we did it all. You know, growing up in Gary, Indiana, we did it all. We did alley basketball, uh, street baseball. and But I really didn't get into formal sports until I uh, went to high school, as a matter of fact, junior high. But I started off. And then into high school. And what sports did you participate in then? 
in junior high, we did uh, what we call court hockey. And then because when I, when I got to high school, I was still a runt. <laughs> it was still like five foot three and about a hundred pounds that, you know, I don't know what it was, but I still didn't allow like my physical stature at that time to kind of limit what I thought was possible. Okay. So even at a young age at in, in ninth grade, I said, well, okay, I'm small. So what can I do? And I thought going out for football would be a great idea. <laughs> so I went, I went out for football in my freshman year. And then I also did wrestling. And, and so that those were the two main sports. And I realized early on that my football career probably wasn't going to be a lengthy one in high school because I was the smallest. What did you play? What position? Girl, I was special teams. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> have a, a, a position for me. I was so small and I wasn't the fastest of all of the other athletes. Now in my neighborhood, I was this fast, small kid, but amongst other technical athletes, I was not. So, which was okay. But you know what? The thing is this, is that I, I always showed up to practice. Mm-hmm. And I always gave it my all. And I think my teammates really respected that. So eventually I heard of this, like, hey, maybe you should join cross country and track. And that's when I left football, I left wrestling, and I started focusing more on cross country and track for the remainder of my high school years. So did you really enjoy cross country and track? I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed the distance running, but I certainly enjoyed the fellowship, the camaraderie that we had with, uh, with my other teammates. I really enjoyed that sense of belonging. And then my track coach, his name is Roosevelt Pulliam. He actually became more like an, another surrogate father figure in a different capacity than my own. Okay. And when you were on the track team, what distance did you run? Longer or your sprinter? Nope. So I ran the um, primarily the two mile and the mile. But once again, I think once you start getting down towards the mile, then it requires a little faster of a pace. Now, when I'm reflective and look back at what kids are running today, I mean, I was running a pretty good uh, <laughs> mile distance. I mean, I was like right around the five five minute mile mark. That's great. But I had other teammates who were incredibly faster than me, so or at least more consistent anyway. But I enjoyed everything about. I enjoyed the process of track cross country. I enjoyed the fellowship in the midst of all of the running and the training and things like that. And it was rigorous, but I've always knew that that's kind of what the price of admission was. That's true. So after high school, did you continue to run? Surprisingly, I had received some offers to run track in college, but or cross country in college, and I, and I did not take them up on that. And in college, I did nothing. I mean, I, be, I mean, outside of just, you know, your normal social activities, I did not do participate in any formal physical activities. And it really wasn't until I joined the United States Army that I began my physical fitness again uh, journey. So do you join the military right after college? You know, I did not. I, you know, I, I graduated with my degree and my first year, I did what something that a lot of people don't do, which is actually utilize your degree. Okay. <laughs> and I, I was a counselor for a year. Oh, okay. With a residential treatment facility there in, in Illinois, and uh, like near Gurney. And since they have a residential treatment facility, they also have a school. 
on ground. And one year, one of the teachers decided to take her career elsewhere and they had a vacancy. But since I didn't have my teaching degree, they slotted me as a teacher's assistant, but I was the only teacher in that class. And so I ran that 12th grade or I ran that class. And then for my 12th grade class, I had an army recruiter come in and he actually recruited me. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the story. But as I understood in life, everything seems to happen for a reason. So it's one of those things where maybe at the time I didn't have an appreciation or understanding, but it, it, it happens for a reason. So, so I joined the army and I can tell you what, it's important for me to say that my paternal uncles, all but one had served in the armed forces. So it was certainly something that was on my radar. So I, I was open to the idea and it was something I always had thought about previously. Well, thank you for your service. Well, hey, it's a pleasure. <laughs> so in the military, I know in the military, my dad was in the military for 20 plus years. You do a lot of running. Did you enjoy that process in the military? You know, I, I think I, I kind of fell right back into the groove of running. I did. And there was something called the Commander's Cup, which is a team that I joined. And you run a little over, I think it's 2.1 miles. And interesting dynamic about this is that you have a group of, let's say, 11 athletes who all started together and you had to end together. So your time as a collective group, you had, I mean, you couldn't leave anybody behind. So your team had to go up to your slowest person. At the time, I mean, we were clocking those at the age of 20. I, was, I should have been about 25 at that time. We had run about 2.1 miles in about 11 minutes. So I was still pretty decent even at that age. And then throughout the military career, of course, you, you're required to, to run. And so, yeah, I did enjoy that. But, um, you know, I did that all the way up until, well, till the end. How long were you in the military? Five years. Okay. So after you left the military, did you continue to run? Oh, this is the fun part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the reality is, is that after the military, when I left in 99, I left with a, um, a baby. And so my wife was pregnant and we had a, uh, our baby was born during the time we were in the military. And so I had a wife and a young daughter. And so I just got really caught up in the mix of life, so to speak. And uh, I did not continue to run. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget it. I was in the um, Gurney Mills Mall walking out in that area and I felt something jiggle and it was above my waist. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? And it was my stomach. You know, I, I literally had a jiggle. And when I look back at pictures, I had accumulated significant weight and it just kind of hit me. It snuck up on me. I didn't even think about it, but yeah, it does that. Yeah. (laughs) So as soon as I felt that jiggle, it was like an instant thing. I said, I have to get active again. And I didn't know what vehicle I would use. So I just kind of brainstormed and I got into um, martial arts. And I did that for about a little over three years. I did Taekwondo, Hapkido, and Jiu Jitsu. And then I started doing some MMA type stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. MMA? It's from your yeah. wrestling background? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it helped me because <laughs> in, in fighting, it's okay to be on your back versus, you know, you don't want to be on your back. Okay. (laughs) 
but uh, yeah, I did that. And then up until 2000, what was it? 2004. And that's when Rudy Christian, you may be familiar with him. Yeah. Rudy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, My frat brother, he, I forget how it all happened, but he encouraged me to uh, go out and run a marathon. Okay. So how did he do that from, you know, run marathon? Not just start running, but run a marathon. <laughs> I don't know if he even considered that I had not run a previous distance, a, a shorter distance outside of the military. So he just asked and I don't know, I just said, why not? And so I just started training for a marathon. So did you train with him or did you get a program um, like offline or a book? Or- yep. So I was living in, in the Joliet, Illinois area and they... At the time, uh, Matt, his his club was Max Fitness. He had a run club. And I would just meet up with them. And then he would post a schedule throughout that you could follow. And really, that's the training plan that I followed to run the Chicago Marathon. Okay. What year was that? Your first, your first endurance race, which was a marathon. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 2004, Chicago Marathon. And... Uh, yeah, I remember getting to the end of that marathon in 2004, and I was cursing myself like, what? Why would I ever decide to do this? Who would want to do this? I paid for this. This is ridiculous. I'll never do this again. But I'll tell you what, I had trained so meticulously. I missed zero, zero training runs. Zero, zero? Zero. I mean, there were times when I was up at 11 o'clock at night running in a mall shopping parking lot because it was the most lit area that I could find because of my schedule or what have you. I missed nothing. And so when I went into that to that marathon, I was really disappointed by my results. My first marathon was I think like a four thirty or something like that. I think that's good for a first marathon. Huh? In in retrospect, right? But at the time, I had had these higher expectations. What was your goal? I was looking for somewhere around a four-hour marathon. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I had been pacing like eight and a half, eight forties throughout the training cycle. But I don't know. Even even now, as I look back, like why that particular marathon didn't go as a, as planned. But I can tell you this, that at the end of that race... Within a day, I knew that I needed to actually find another race mm-hmm. to run marathon distance because I couldn't wait until 2005 Chicago Marathon to redeem myself or to rid myself of the feeling that I had. In other words, I wanted to end my marathon experience on a positive note. So I signed up for the Detroit Free Press Marathon, which was like two weeks later. Okay. So how was that race? <laughs> it was. Almost as slow, but a lot more enjoyable. Okay. And why do you think? I went into that race knowing that I was not going to go in on fresh legs. It would be my second marathon. But I had to rid myself of the physical feeling of the type of fatigue and mental duress that I was under in the Chicago Marathon. Mm -hmm. I knew that when I ran the Detroit Marathon, I wanted to give myself permission to be more present in the moment and enjoy the run. like putting the pressure on myself to run the particular pace. And it was just a completely different experience. So after those two marathons, tell me about your other marathons because you've run how many total? 
Oh gosh, I should have thought about that question. Um, I've run at least 18, at least 23 because what happened is after my second marathon that year, I actually wound up, uh, not too long after I wound up adding a couple of more marathons on, on board. I really kind of said to myself, I don't know if I really like running. That's true. But you continue to run though. <laughs> well, and because not doing so to me was driven more so by the fact that I did not like the discomfort of training and running. And the time commitment. Okay. Yeah. And so because I didn't like that, I thought, well, that's a good enough excuse not to run. Sort of. But then I landed on the fact, actually, no, it isn't. It's not a good enough excuse. You're just being, this is a the self dialogue. You're just being lazy. There's no good reason not to run. And there's plenty of good reasons to run for cardiovascular benefit, et cetera. And, and, and I come from a family that is plagued by all of these chronic ailments. And I knew that this would be a good uh, venue or, or, or way for me to really kind of fight against that, what seemed to be a legacy of inheritance. So I said, you know what? I really have no good excuse. And unless I can come up with a really good excuse not to run, I'll just run. And so from 2004, well, it hasn't stopped. I said, I will try to run the Chicago marathon until my body no longer allows me to run. So that's been it. So I've primarily run the Chicago marathon. And then I littered in the Marine Corps marathon, the Harrisburg marathon, rock and roll in San Diego, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Okay. What year did you run Philadelphia? You know, remember? I don't recall. It's probably somewhere closer to like 2008 or nine in that time frame. Okay. okay. I had to start running, buddy. I'm trying to say, I wanted to, we run the same marathon because I, you know, I lived in Philly and I ran a marathon at least twice. I think. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'd go back there. Matter of fact, I think it has the best type of terrain for triathlon training by far. I mean, that's when I was at my, my most physically fit. Okay. In Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. Okay. So out of all of your marathons, do you have a favorite? Is it Chicago? Because <laughs> you do it every year. <laughs> Absolutely. So Chicago, because, well, actually, gosh, I've done more than 23 now. Now I think about it. But anyway, definitely Chicago. You know, everybody hyped up New York and then Berlin, which I just did uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, Berlin just this past year and then uh, New York part two. I really enjoyed New York aspects of New York, but I still love Chicago's. I, th- I think Chicago is probably the easiest marathon to run in terms of just coordination. Mm, it's flat, relatively. Yeah. Whereas New York is is logistically complicated. It really is. And it's so <laughs> hilly. Oh my God, all those bridges. But <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, when you run into like the Bronx or, the, or some of those um, boroughs, and this is not a slight against New York. I just don't think they were as scenic as any other place. So I just thought it was okay. I mean, I enjoyed the aspects of running the, toward the city. Yeah. And the crowd support was great when I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly elements of it. I, I would say if I had to pick a second favorite, perhaps New York would be that. Okay. Did you not like Berlin? Uh, I did not like Berlin at all. Why? I'm curious. That's my second favorite. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think, in all fairness, let me put an asterisk by that, by, by that statement. In all fairness, I think I owe Berlin 
another chance. Meaning we went there and I was focused on, I had been training on a new program. So I was looking for a PR and I was thinking that Berlin was going to afford me that and it didn't. And so a lot of the running area was narrow. And so I found myself having to jump onto the curb and zigzag. Yeah. Place me because I had deferred from the previous year. I was in the very last wave. So I was constantly fighting a lot of slower paced people. And that made for a couple of different experiences. One, I wasn't able to visually concentrate on any of the elements around me because I was constantly dodging and looking for a, a, a pathway forward between runners. Okay. The whole race? The entire race. Okay. So you couldn't enjoy it? I couldn't enjoy it as, as much as I probably would have or wanted to. I have you. I understand. It makes sense. I did it as a training run because it's right before Chicago. So it was. I didn't really care about time or anything. So I can just kind of like run and smell the roses for like a better word. So it was it was fun for me. And it's flat and it was a lovely, it's a perfect weather too. Yeah, yeah. As far as the temperature. So why have you only run marathons? Um, you mean not, like not have run like 5Ks or what have you? Half marathons or just other races in general. I'm just curious. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. When I started running marathons, it's it's actually like I, I say it's a personality defect. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, I always feel like, and this never, I, I really like speaking about this publicly because it never comes off right. But I'll say it, and please, I mean this in, in, in a great way. This is only in, in, in reference to myself. I always felt like, why would I run a half when there's another half I'm supposed to run? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> full distance of, uh, of anything is an ultimate goal for me. And so to run anything shorter seems kind of counterproductive. Now, I must admit that at one point I was with the Nike sponsored Southside team for the Chicago Marathon. And when we were sponsored athletes through Nike, we would be required, you know, in their early years of sponsorship, they would do these 5K runs. Okay. You had to run. There are ambassadors out there. So have I done shorter runs? Yes. It started off because of the, the sponsorship through Nike. And then maybe probably about, oh, it's been about six years now, six, seven years. One of my fraternity brothers, who's also a runner, Roland uh, Walker, he approached me. He had a half marathon team that ran the Kentucky Derby marathon. And they did it for competition where similar to the uh, Commander's Cup, you would take four of the five four or five runners best times and that cumulative time would then compete against other competing teams. And so he had invited me to join his team that had won it the previous year. And I joined that and that was my first endeavor into a formal half marathon. And we did that for several years. Okay. And we were the number one team collectively. So I did I have done some, but I don't do them necessarily own volition per se, or like it has to be like a special invite or somebody to do it. But mostly I, I don't seek them out myself. Okay. Okay. So what made you start doing triathlons? <laughs> Rudy, Rudy. Rudy again. <laughs> Rudy. I tell you, like, 
Well, so Rudy is, well, and, and then in all fairness myself, so it, it's actually polyfactorial. So what happened was when I was running marathons, Rudy started planting that seed. He would say, hey, you do really good at, in the heat. You do really well with running and doing an Ironman. And I, if I had a rock that was near me, I, I'd probably pick it up and throw it at him. So Rudy, Rudy, again, Iron Man, not a sprint or Olympic, but an Iron Man. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 like, hey, triathlon. Hey, just why don't you do an Iron Man? And so he had been doing them, and, and so he just thought it would be a good idea for me. But I'll be honest with you, I ignored it. I rebuffed his his suggestions. It was nothing. There was no part of me that was even thinking about that. And so, unlike the first time. I did not start my first Ironman with Rudy or start doing him uh, with Rudy. I actually was successful in ignoring Rudy. He just planted a seed up here. And the, the, the reality is, is that one day, well, when I was 39 years old, I was contemplating what 40 would look like. And in that process, I had, um, there was the TV show Biggest Loser. You may be familiar with it. Okay. I used to watch it. And there was a guy on there that was almost 400 pounds. And he was a self-described couch potato. Never was an athlete at any point uh, in his life. But he was significantly overweight. And he was on the show to lose weight. But one of his aspirations or goal was to do an Ironman. And I watched that season. At the end, they set up an Ironman distance for him to do. And what, they didn't enroll in a formal Ironman event. But they they modeled it. Ironman did. And they gave him the, the time cutoff. And unfortunately, he did not finish under the 17 hours, but he did finish the distance. Like he did persevere and push through and traverse. He did the total distance. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching that, I thought to myself, that's pretty phenomenal. You got, you have this significantly morbidly obese person who is, who has lost weight and has gone for one of the greatest physical challenges on earth. If he can do it, I can do it. That's what I thought. And then what better way to rock in 40 years old? Okay. So in 2010, I uh, started asking around. I said, well, what, what's one of the hard, you know, like what's a good or hard challenging Ironman event to do? And they said, there's a grueling one. It's uh, Ironman Louisville. It's hot, hilly. So you did it when it was in the summer, not when they moved after they moved it to October. Okay. Yeah, when it was in the summer. <laughs> and I said, well, sign me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I set out to do. It's funny because I didn't know how to formally swim. You, you knew how to swim a little, but not. I knew how to, like, I could survive in the water. Like, you thought the water, I wasn't going to sink. I could dog paddle. I can go under. I was comfortable. But literally, I'll never forget the very first time I tried to traverse a length, not a lap, a length. And I got halfway down, 12 yards down, and I was tanked. I could not swim halfway down the length of a pool. And I thought, there's no way. <laughs> I went to the, I was at the YMCA. I hired a swim coach or a swim, I got to a swim class, a basic swim class at the YMCA. And then I followed up with a triathlon swim class immediately thereafter. And that's how I learned to swim. How long did it take you to learn how to, to swim? Did you, was it, you, did you train for a year for the Ironman after you decided? Was it about a year? I started in January of 2010. Okay. So eight, all in all, it was eight months until that 
first race. Race. Uh, so it took me about only a few weeks really efficiently learn how to swim. We we met multiple times throughout the week. But how many times did you swim initially throughout? I mean, each week. Yeah. So each like each class, like I think we we had three sessions, and I supplement those with two additional. So I swam probably about five times a week for three weeks, and then by the end of that, I was good enough to at least go back and forth. And the rest was just up to me building my endurance. Did you continue with the um, coach? Are you after that? You were kind of on your own. I was on my own. And um, every year afterwards, I just start, I I do that where I hire at the YMCA. I hire a track coach. I mean, track, I mean, a swim uh, coach. And then I just tweak my form. Okay. And then you, okay. For a few weeks. Just to make sure that nothing has, like my form is not out of whack or anything like that. Okay. So tell me about your first race at Louisville. That was my first race too, but it was in October when I did it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really interesting. The, you know, I had, I bought my first bike that in, in January, February timeframe as well, because I didn't, obviously I didn't own like a, a road bike and you know, I bought a road bike versus a triathlon bike and bike pro there in Pennsylvania up in Harleysville. He actually says, well, Hey, I'll tweak the bike to get you ready. So I'm going in there with my Fuji carbon fiber bike. And I'm all proud of this bike that I probably spent, oh, I don't know, maybe it was on sale. So I think I got it for like, well, way less than 2000, like 1600 bucks. And to me, that was like, wow, you know, 1600 bucks. And then of course you add all the things onto it. So I show up to the race and the first thing I realized was that everybody looked professional. Mm-hmm. They had the, you know, the teardrop helmets. Arrow the, hell, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah all of these beautiful aero bikes and triathlon bikes. And quite frankly, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed, literally embarrassed by my bike. It, it, it took me back to my childhood of, of, of growing up in poverty. I felt like, like I was just embarrassed of what I had. And I literally wanted to hide it. But, um, you know, I was excited. I felt I was adequately prepared. I had been training there in Pennsylvania at that time. there on the hills of the Pocono Mountains. So I didn't have any flat straightaways. So when I did any type of speed work, whether it was track or, you know, like running or, or, or bike work, it was always on hills. Hills. So I was way more prepared than I could ever imagine. I mean, it was hot. I remember them saying something. It was well over the number 106 sticks in my mind, like heat index. Wow. Cause it, cause it would be hot. And I mean, they were talking about eggs frying on a cement type thing. It was burning up. But I went into that race. There was a gentleman that worked at, at headquarters with me with, with my company, Merck. And he was an Ironman athlete. And he had done Louisville a couple of times. Matter of fact, he was from that area. Well, not from the area, but he just, he, he was very familiar with it. So he had given me a lot of tips uh, and advice. So along the way, I was just a, I was a sponge. I was soaking up knowledge from everybody that I can speak to that did Ironman. I was asking, you know, about tips like, you know, how should I hydrate? What kind of nutrition? And so I found a nutrition that worked for me at the time I was using hammer nutrition. And I just followed the game plan. Honestly, I just didn't let any of the elements get to me because I just felt like this was what it was, just what it was going to be. You know? So I had a really solid bike ride. I felt like it didn't feel as challenging to me as I heard about going in. 
So that meant that my training was on, was really on point. My bike was fine. I started losing some of the wheels, so to speak, uh, on the run. Okay, your legs. Yeah, the, uh, towards the end there, I mean, obviously, at the end of any Ironman, you're going to be tired. Towards the end there, I was, you know, I, I started to feel the cumulative fatigue of the day and the bike ride and just the heat and everything. But my wife and kids were there. And matter of fact, that was the first time that all of my kids had been, and, and I think the only time that all of my kids have been at, a, at an Ironman. So with them on the course and the way that the, the Louisville run portion, the marathon portion is, is set up, it was easy for spectators. So that, w- that made it nice. I finished it. I felt great, honestly. You felt great. You didn't, you didn't feel like you were about to die at the end? At the end? So here's one thing that sticks with me from my track years. In my track years, my coach used to always say, leave it all out there on the track. And at the end, no matter what, sprint it in. No matter what the distance was, at a certain point, sprint it in. And so I have run every single race with that mentality. At the very end, so usually if it's a marathon, usually the mile, the last 1.2 miles is a sprint for me. It's like whatever my pace is, that's as much as my body is mustering up run as fast as I can. And so when you put that much exertion on your body to run through a finish line, particularly at an Ironman event, boy, that really can tax your system. And I've, I've, I've found that once I've crossed that finish line, usually there's some level of dehydration. Mm-hmm. So any type of like, once I finish, I finish standing, but then I start to have some of those uh, symptoms of dehydration, like just nausea and, 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 and what have you. Lightheadedness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but I felt great. Okay. You felt great. So that was the first. So after you finished, were you planning on doing another one? Did you get the bug? What made you continue on your journey? Yeah. You know, I just, I. I did an after action kind of like review and talked to my wife and she says, there is no way. <laughs> Your wife said no way. <laughs> She's like, there's no way you can do another Ironman next year. Like the, the time commitment, what I gave to it was too intensive. And he thought we have two young babies because by that point we have four kids in the house. And by the time Ironman finished, I had two babies that are 11 months apart. And so you're talking about two small kids and then the other older kids, sort of older kids in a house. She just said, no, that, that there's no way. So then I bartered with her and we landed on, if I can't do it every year, maybe I can do it every other year. And that's really how it began. It was every even year that I would do. So 2010, then my next one wasn't until 2012 and then 2014. And I think in 2016, my wife ran out of Christmas ideas at the end of 2016. So for 2017, she said, I tell you what, for Christmas, I'm going to buy you an entrance into Ironman for 2017. So I said, okay, I can do this. Like, I would love to do Ironman again. That's, that's okay. And that's what happened. And that kind of set a terrible precedence because since 2017, I then have done them every single year justify did she forget about her saying no every other year like what happened <laughs> the christmas present <laughs> yeah you know i think as the kids have gotten older 
Oh, okay. <laughs> and certainly one of the other things too, is I've, I've maintained my creative ways of trying to get in my workouts. It fitted in with your life. My goal is always to do my workouts in a time frame that doesn't hinder or impede family time. Okay. And you figured that out over the years. Yes. Okay. Okay. Do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a really good question. It's something <laughs> that up until this year and and at the end of last year, that I would uh, I would sacrifice sleep for training time. Mm-hmm. And Denise would start telling me, my wife and other people would say, "Hey, you know, you always see these things on on Facebook or different um, forums where it talks about." Sleep is just as essential to training as anything else. And I realized that, well, if I was going to bed at midnight or thereafter and then getting up at four in the morning, that only leaves you with maybe four hours of sleep. And that takes a toll on you. So recently, and I mean just real recently, within the past six months or less, I started making some trade-offs. So what I do now is I go to sleep earlier in the evening. And it turns out that Denise's sleeping pattern has really facilitated that because after nine o'clock PM, she's in bed. You know, she becomes like Cinderella. She's starting to like knock out. So I try to get in bed somewhere around ten. Okay. And if I have to get up at four, then I've at least gotten in six hours of sleep. Okay, and that works for you. And it works out. It's been working out. It's better than four. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> So that's the way it works out. And I will tell you though, I mean, there's certainly, there are days when I cannot get my workouts in, in that time frame, and I'm on my bike or I'm running or I'm doing something 10, 11 o'clock at night. It happens, but I try to make those more the exception than the norm. So you never miss a workout? Oh, no, no, no. When I first started doing Ironman, and I think that's one of the pitfalls of, of tenured athletes. When you first start doing it, you're you're very. I think you're more committed and more methodical about sticking to the training plan. And as you get more seasoned, you tend to kind of pull back, and you say, "Well, I know I can do this. I know I can get through this. Oh, I know what it takes." And and, and I think that's actually, it's like a, a, a to me. I think of the analogy, and I think of a lot th- these things a lot. Uh, think of a of a, of a up and coming boxer who is fighting for the championship. I mean, they're hungry thirsty and they're going for that that heavyweight or that belt and once they get it and they defend it a few times they kind of feel like "Hmm, i got this and there's risk of losing that hunger and i can tell you with with all certainty that i have certainly have fallen trapped to that so there have been several training years of recent where i have justified my lack of adherence to my training schedule by saying well, I just came off of a previous Ironman, so I'm in good shape. Or B, you know, I know I can do this. I still can get out there and cover this distance. But the reality is, I think we set ourselves up for uh, for failure when we start uh, thinking that way. I think it's important to to maintain your hunger. So this will be my first training cycle. I mean, the one that I'm in now that this week I'm coming up, my swim after I get off this uh, podcast. This will be the first time that I will make the level of commitment that no matter what it takes to not miss a single training session. There's two training sessions. So I do six days a week, twice a day. And you take it in one day off. 
24 weeks, one day off. So my goal is to not miss one single session. We'll see what happens. I think you can do it. (laughs) There's going to be some creative adjustments. I already know that in February, I'm traveling to Atlanta, so I can't have my bike with me. So I've already started thinking about like, what are you going to do about a bike? And and I probably won't have access to an Olympic pool. So what will I do? And so the time leading up to and the time afterwards that I'm back, I will probably pull some of those workouts prior to and after. Still get them in. It won't be on the days that they were designed to be on. Yeah, they'll be different. Yeah, and, and, and I'll do it that way. So we'll see what happens. So after all the years, how do you keep the focus, determination to keep training? Because it's pretty grueling training um, for Ironman full distance. Here's what I do. I look at all the other Ironman athletes that are in our social groups. And I look at kind of like how their trajectory is. And I think about people who are being really successful in their their Ironman career. And I think to myself, I'm not one to compare myself time-wise against other people, but I certainly identify people who are doing well and say, well, if they can do well, I can do well as well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I stay motivated by seeing other people really pushing and grinding and then knowing that I still have more left in me. And, and, and that's another thing too, is that in February, I will be 53. And I started this off at 40 years old. So I kind of hang on to some of those 40-year-old times. And I think to myself, can I get myself back to that 40-year-old pace? Can I, can I replicate some of those experiences? And the jury's out. I don't know. But I can tell you. Then I'm going to put all of the uh, work into it. Plus, as you may know, I qualify for the Ironman World Championship uh, through the Legacy Program. Can you explain what the Legacy Program is to people who are listening who may not know? Yeah. So Ironman has two ways in which you can compete in the Ironman World Championship there in Kona, Hawaii. And the first way is that you, during the time that you're competing in an Ironman event, that you finish in the top of your age group. Usually it's within the one or two, three slot. So if you finish in the top in your age group, then you get offered a slot to compete in the championship. The other way that Ironman has set it up was that they feel as if you're able to compete and complete 12 full Ironman events within a certain amount of time that you're worthy enough to earn a spot in the Ironman World Championship. And that's the way that I've earned my slot a little over a year ago. And so I will be competing in the Ironman World Championship. I was scheduled to run in 2023, but I will defer to the 2024. Until 24. So I can compete in Kona, Hawaii. So when did you um, decide that was your goal? Or was it just because you were doing so many races? Like I might as well. Or was that what your initial goal? You know, my initial goal was just to see if I could do one, right? And then to see if I can replicate the experience of doing one to make sure that what I did was not a, was like, like a fluke or something. And then once again, I always set my different standards. And my thought was, okay, I did Louisville. Could I do another grueling, similar one like Louisville? So I did Louisville again. And then I thought, well, could I do another hard one? 
And I just kept on piling up hard ones. You did one. Well, I think all of them are hard. You did one some of all. I think all of them are hard, but you did some of the harder races in a circuit. No, that that's fair. That 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 certainly is fair. So yes, all Ironman events are hard in and of itself. But yeah, and 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 I was thinking when I say that, I was thinking more so like if that's not hard enough, let me throw in elements and let me throw in terrain to even complicate the situation. Right. So those are the things that I kind of focused on, and it honestly it was sort of just I never really thought about the world championships in the and probably up until the middle. And even actually within till the past couple of years, when I started accumulating so many, mm-hmm. and I realized that, hey, I'm getting close to this like legacy program. And if I continue on the pathway forward, I'll qualify for that. And that's how it came. It just, it, it was, it was really was a matter of just me saying to myself, well, I'm going to continue to do Ironman just like marathon. And then... I happen to be getting close to qualifying for the world championship. So, okay, let me do that. And now qualifying for the world championship, of course, you can't show up there and not be in shape. That that, that just can't happen. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the hard races too. So, yeah, if you're not prepared, yeah. you're in for a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so that that's why even though I'm deferring, I'm still taking the mentality as I am now. I'm using this year and my my race that's slotted for this year as sort of a litmus test, if you will, for Hawaii. Because I feel like if I can go out there and perform in June, I'm uh, in Ironman Corner Lane. Mm-hmm, which is a harder race too, yeah. Yeah. Then I think <laughs> all of the things that I do today, as I'm taking note of, I will be able to utilize that as a formula for success going towards uh, Kona. Okay. So over the years, have you had any significant injuries? I have. Most acute. So I had a bike accident. Yeah. I've had a couple, right? I've crashed and was concussed there on Lakeshore Drive. And I lost some a block of memory. So I don't know how it happened. Or I just know that I did have an accident and I was concussed. It's like you and I are talking and all of a sudden I wake up and I have like blood on me. Like, whoa, what's this? So it was that. And then I had another accident, same thing, a biking accident on a trail here in Michigan, coming across a footbridge that was uh, wooden and it was moist and it was slippery. And I slipped on it and fell and um, ripped my hand up pretty good and took me to the car. But um, outside of those, those were my two acute injuries. Last year, I suffered from my very first chronic injury, which was more of my Achilles. And I think it was like Achilles tendonitis or some type of uh, issue. So I saw an orthopedic surgeon and he gave me some uh, stretches to do. And we we did that and I was able to recover from that. And then somewhere last year, I also developed a little bit of some sol- some pain in my soleus muscles near the gas rocks. People don't know what that is, just basically the muscles on, by, by the calf area, uh, underneath that area of your calf. So anyway, but that really taught me a very valuable lesson which is stretching. You got to stretch. And I think a lot of us don't we go out there, we do our, our races and our runs. And then when we jump in our cars or after we cool off or whatever, but we don't stretch because that's critical, particularly as I start to, as my body continues to, that stretch is going to be critical for me to be able to still continue to do this. Out of your 14 races, do you have a favorite? Of Ironman? Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Ironman Mont Tremblant. Wow. Why? Just because it's beautiful? 
I really, if anybody's considering an Ironman, I want you to Google Mont Treblant. And then the first time I did, and I saw these pictures, the first thing I thought were, were these pictures were, were filtered, they were doctored, <laughs> is how beautiful they were. They were. The colors were vibrant. The little village, it's a ski resort area, is it's just really pretty. And I thought, no place looks like this until I arrived. And it looked exactly like that. It was just as <laughs> and beautiful. It was everything that the picture showed it to be and so much more. So I loved it. I, I, I loved everything about it. I loved, so I had great accommodations. I loved the logistics. The finish line was, was out of a storybook. I mean, you're literally running down. Well, I guess maybe cobblestone doesn't seem to be the best surface to be running on, but it didn't seem to be a hindrance at the end. You're running down this, this wavy line and, and literally throughout the village, there's just hundreds and hundreds of people cheering you on. And I don't know how long that lasts, but it's like having that red carpet of Ironman extended out for like a half mile or so. And that type of energy, a half mile all the way through to, to the end. And just where they finish in Montreblanc, that finish line in and of itself is a storybook ending. So by far, my absolute favorite. And ironically, it has been my most challenging to get back to. So, but I, I, I certainly want to go. Okay. It is pretty. I've heard. <laughs> I've never been. Oh, I encourage anybody. It's, it's amazingly difficult. <laughs> the whole race or is it mainly the bike? Because you're climbing mount, you're swimming, you're biking mountains because it's a ski area. <laughs> so. Swimming is the easiest, but I'm going to tell you right now, to me, Ironman Montreblanc is quote unquote you, meaning you can go in some of these races and you can see people and they get aided by a current, right? So you look at their swim times, you're like, wow, you know, they can swim an hour and 10 minutes. Well, technically they were pushed and if they were in a still body of water, would they be able to swim? I don't know. But in Ironman Montreblanc, the lake that you swim in is glass. Okay. There is nothing working for you or against you. It is all you. And I like that. So I, I enjoy the swim. The bike is by far one of the most challenging bike courses I still ridden on to date. That and Lake Placid. And then the run, I think the run is moderately hilly. It's probably as hilly as like maybe like some of the other races I've run, like Chattanooga or, or some of these other ones. But all in all, even though there's a, the most challenging part is the bike, second to the run, and then, of course, the, the swim is just a swim. It's still an awesome course. It's just an awesome course. So can you tell me a life lesson you learned in the midst of a race, whether it be a marathon or um, tri- triathlon? Yeah. Gosh, there are so many. I think there's so many parallels to what we do, right? Endurance racing, running to life that you can draw from. And I mean, what I learned is everything you put into training and racing, you get back. Mm -hmm, That's true. And so I think, you know, I can apply that to every aspect of my life that if I want to, you know, whatever I put into any area of my life, if I put in that same due diligence, if I don't give myself excuses, if I'm out there doing what I need to do, then in general, 
I find that I'm well prepared for whatever situation I find myself in. And so when I'm out there during an Ironman course, I think back to all those training days. I draw back on all those experiences. I think back to the challenging moments of a challenging run and say to myself, you remember that one time you were super tired, it was hot, you you felt like you were dehydrated, but you made it to the end. And so when I'm training, I train as I plan to race. In other words, when I'm training, if I'm biking, I don't, I don't take any stops. I wouldn't take a stop within a race. I don't take any pauses in my runs that I wouldn't take in a race. Same thing with, with, with swimming. When I'm swimming, I did 7,100 yards last weekend. And I didn't stop one single time. Now, sometimes I'll see other swimmers and they'll stop and they'll hydrate. And then they'll continue their swim. That's not me. But you can't do that in a race. Yeah. <laughs> as, as how I plan the race, right? And I think that's similar just in life. Like plan and prepare as you plan to execute. And that's what I take with me in every aspect. So part of my podcast is to feature guests who've overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. Can you tell me about an obstacle that you face, whether it be racing or just in life and that obstacle, how you made it to your finish line? Yeah, I think there's several things that I overcome. I overcome, you have to remember, I think we're all kind of like grown up versions of our younger selves. <laughs> we bring like our, our little child and all the baggage and everything that comes with us. and when you grow up believing a version about yourself, you have to overcome that in order to, to get to the finish line of like Iron Man. In other words, I, I started off by saying I was the runt of the litter of my, of my family. And so when you grow up with this image that I am not gifted as a runner, as a baseball player, basketball player, or any athletic in any way, how does somebody like me, who is always chosen last, how does that person overcome that persona or that younger person that was never chosen first and was always chosen last? Like, how do you overcome the mental barriers that I, I'm still not at the age of 52 years old, the fastest runner? And then, but how do I overcome those things mentally? Because Ironman is about the physical preparation, but there's a clear mental, mental. it's all right. And it really was me giving myself permission to be better than my perception. You have to give yourself permission to go out there and push beyond. It's, it's pretty ironic. I'm reading David Goggins' most recent book. Me too. I'm listening to it though. But yeah. Are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm reading it and I'm a slow reader because I, I, I stop, and I digest, mm. and I listen to and and since you since you're familiar with it, you know he 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 talks about all of these things that happen to you as a person or him, right? And we can use a lot of these things as kind of like these crutches or these mental excuses not accomplishing. So I can go back to my childhood and say, well, I just wasn't fast, I wasn't gifted enough. I could go back and talk about childhood traumas. And think about all of these excuses of why I shouldn't be succeeding in life or shouldn't be where I'm at. But I realized back in the day, um, back in 2007, actually, that I am, I was born to succeed. 
it came to me very clearly. I remember the exact minute and those words were spoken to me that I was born to succeed. I was not birthed to fail. And I've taken that philosophy to say in everything that I do, that as long as I prepare myself, and we talked about this mentally, emotionally, physically, then I can overcome and do anything that I want. And so it's really that philosophy that has carried over in all aspects of my life. And so I've looked at that little young, little young version of myself. And I say to him, you wouldn't believe what you will become one day because you're going to give yourself permission to one, believe in yourself and to go out there and push the boundaries of what is possible. And I think that when you're running or you're biking or you're swimming and you mentally hit that wall or you say to yourself, yeah, but I just did a three hour and 15 minute bike ride yesterday on Ironman Lake Placid course. And then I ran three miles and then I got to go out here and I ran nine miles before jumping on this podcast. And I have 2,300 yards of swim. Are my legs ready? Well, and then you tell yourself, yeah, you're ready. Yeah. And you never know what's possible until you go out there and actually run it and give yourself permission to try. That's true. And so that's the biggest thing that gets me to the finish line, which is what if you gave yourself permission to succeed? What if you believed in yourself? What could be all of the possibilities of accomplishments? And to date, it has gotten me to every single Ironman finish line and everything that I want in life. Great. And I think you answered my last question, which is um, what would a present day Alex go back and tell your younger self? Yeah, he would. He, he, he would definitely would. There were several things he would tell him. He would tell him life is going to be difficult. And I, the bigger version wish, wishes he can protect the younger version of himself. It's pretty funny because I think we get asked that question sometimes. And I actually had a very vivid dream about this. And that happened. And I'm going to write a book and I'm going to put it in, in this book. One is he apologizes. Like I apologize to myself for all the hurts I will experience. I didn't address this, but I certainly would, of course, like I said, tell him that everything that you could ever think to want in life is all possible and it's just up to you. And to never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever put a cap on your potential. Never put a cap on the possibilities of of what is possible because you are doing what seemed impossible many years ago. And I will continue to push the boundaries in all aspects of my life to see what is possible. Great, great, great. Any last minute words of advice for my listeners in regards to triathlons, life, or running? Yeah. So Ironman is doable. So if, unless you have some type of obviously like physical impairment that doesn't allow you, if you're physically capable and you have the financial means, because it's, it's financially expensive. But you don't have to buy the most expensive things just to let people know. You don't have to have the best bike. That's right, because part of that earlier story that I was telling you remember I was hiding the bike because I felt embarrassed. When I went to my bike pro, because I was telling him, I said, You remember all of those like I, I saw all these people with their fancy helmets and things like that. I was like floored that I actually was passing some of those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One thing to me that has stuck with me to this date. It's one of the most important pieces of thing that he said to me. He said it's all about the engine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, engine. Me? Like, I'm the engine of that bike. Yep. That's right. So I think to anybody who's, who, who is thinking about triathlon at any distance or any type of endurance sport or just life, 
We all come up with these ideas and these ambitions and these goals. I think the first thing you have to ask yourself, you have to identify your why, why you're doing it. Because honestly, that why is going to pull you through <laughs> those long, tedious moments when you don't want to get out there. You know, we talk about motivation and inspiration and inspiration is supposed to be more internal. Motivation is external. Like you see somebody doing it. Oh, they motivate me. But really that why speaks to that inspiration, that inside. So to, to your listeners, find your why and never forget your why. Never forget your why. And I take in all of these little snippets of things that I've gotten over the cumulative years and, and, and things like there's a thousand reasons why you can't do something, but all you need is one reason why you can. So when I think about those type of things, well, hey, I can do this. And I'm telling any of your listeners, I, Alex Torres, as the runt of the Torres family, <laughs> was that person that probably nobody believe, believed in physically mm-hmm. at a certain I've overcome all of those limit self-imposed as well as other people putting those limitations on me. And I've been successful, not because I'm anything more special than you. And that's the point is that I'm not. I'm just as special as you are. No more, no less. And you can do it. When you anchor on your why and you make a decision to do it, stay committed and do it. People ask me all the time, what does it take to be an Iron Man? I say it takes grit and determination, perseverance discipline. All of that is anchored on your why. If you can do that, if you can have all of those elements aligned, you will be successful and never let anybody tell you that you can't. I, I never tell anybody they, they can't. Do it. So it's up to you. That's true. It's your choice mm-hmm. whether or not you'll cross that finish line and hear your name called. You're an Ironman or whether you will cross that 5k line, half marathon or marathon distance, whatever it is that you choose. It's up to you. You get to make the decision. Great words of advice. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I, it's an honor, actually. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email runningischeaperthantherapyolbomahalovebrown at gmail.com. Again, that is runningischeaperthantherapyomahalovebrown at gmail.com. It also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and my website at www.weouilove.com. Thank you for listening and please tune in again.